Ephesians chapter 5, and starting in verse number 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, wives should love their, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. Let's pray. Good Father, we are grateful to have your word. Would you please help us as we continue in this worship gathering? Would you please help me as I would continue to worship by preaching and teaching from your word? Please guard my heart and my mind. Please give me humble joy in this privilege of serving your people. Please keep me from error Would you please draw near by the power of your Holy Spirit to your people who are going to continue worshiping by sitting under the preaching of your word. We want to hear what you have to say to us through your word, by your spirit, and so we humble ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to us those things that we need to hear. Would you help us as we hear them Not just to be hearers of your word, but doers also. Help us to be believers in your your word such that we obey your word. Please help us as we continue now in this time of worship. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Marriage is a lifelong partnership between one man and one woman united in a covenant of sacrificial love and cheerful submission for their mutual flourishing and the glory of Jesus and his gospel. Let me say that one more time. Marriage is a lifelong partnership between one man and one woman united in a covenant of sacrificial love and cheerful submission for their mutual flourishing and the glory of Jesus 
and his gospel. Some people would like to expand the participants in marriage. Some people want to change the responsibilities in a marriage. And some people want to cheapen the purpose of marriage. Do you know what we want? We want God's definition of marriage. Since God designs it, God defines it. And if that's true, that God designs it and so God defines it, then we should make our way back to the book of Genesis and take a look there, because that's where God designs marriage. Kids, can I ask you why it might be important to look at the book of Genesis? Who knows? Why should we look to Genesis if we want to see why God, how God designs marriage? That's correct. He created the world. And in Genesis, we get to read about how God created. So Genesis is the beginning of everything. That's important for us. Who remembers who is the human author of the book of Genesis? This is a little harder, perhaps. Kids first. Yeah. Moses is the human author of the book of Genesis. So let's go back to Genesis. By God's design, humans exist in two genders. Just like there are male dogs and female dogs, but both the male and the female are dogs, when God created man, he made a male man and a female man. And I'm not talking about the person who delivers your mail. Both the male man and the female man are made in God's image and likeness. And as a result, both the male man and the female man are equally valuable. Look how Moses describes this way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Genesis 1 and 26. It'll also be on the screen that's behind me. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What do we see here? Let's read one more verse. And God blessed them. How kind of God. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. By God's design, the male man 
and the female man have a shared name and a shared nature and a shared mission. They have a shared name. God names mankind in Genesis chapter 5. We read, he made them male and female and he called them together man. A shared name. But not only that, we have a shared nature. Men, the male man, and women, the female man, made together in God's image and likeness. A shared nature. And a shared mission. Did you notice that? The male man and the female man are to partner together in order to what? To rule over God's creation. To fill it and then to subdue it. To be the rulers and the reigners over God's creation. This is magnificent. Something interesting happens in Genesis chapter 2, and that is God zooms in on day number six of creation. Moses records for us that we don't have all of the details in chapter one behind day six. There's something else, there's more detail that happened on day number six that we don't get in the first chapter. So Moses is not correcting something that he got wrong in chapter one. He's giving us more detail. Think about when you um, purchase uh, Legos, and you see the picture on the front of the little booklet, right? You see the big picture. Or uh, for us adults, you purchase um, the big box store in Minneapolis, uh, Ikea, Ikea, right? So you purchase something from Ikea, and you have in mind what it's going to look like, and then you go home, I don't know if you did this, and then you like whip out these instructions, and they're like the length of the dictionary, it all feels like to me, Right? What is that? Well, we have this overview, this big picture of what this is going to look like, and now you have the details behind it. That's what happens here in Genesis chapter 2. Here are the details that Moses wants us to know. God created the male man first. But the male man on his own was unable to display God's image because one gender is inadequate. The male man is alone and God says this is not good. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now skip down to verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him, or corresponding to him, or complementary to him. All of those are helpful translations. Now I wonder when you read this word helper, whether you think about a child, 
Like, would you like to help me make dinner? And you recognize that asking a child for help means you're going to end up doing more work. Or maybe you read helper and you think about someone who is inferior, someone who is not able, someone who is not trusted to do a task on their own. Maybe someone who is somehow subordinate to the one being helped, like an assistant. The Hebrew word that is translated helper in the Bible never means any of those things. In fact, the person most often referred to as helper in Scripture is the Lord. Perhaps you remember these verses from last week's sermon from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Same word here in Genesis chapter 2. If you are in the pool, children, and you begin to struggle in the pool, maybe you forgot to put on uh, your, your, your safety vest, uh, your, what are these arm things called? Your water wings, you forgot to put on your water wings, and you're in the pool, maybe, maybe you drifted out a little too far, and, and now you realize you're in trouble. You're in over your head. What are you going to scream? Somebody. Help, right? I need help. When you ask for help, are you hoping for someone to come who is weaker than you? Someone who is less able than you? Someone who is not fit for the task? Or are you hoping for someone who is strong, someone who can support you, someone who's going to be able to guide you back to safety? That's what you want when you cry out for help, isn't it? The male man needed help. And so God made the female man. And for the first time in Scripture, we get the word woman. Look down in your Bibles and notice this in verse 20. The man, oops, I'm a little bit ahead of you. I'm, I'm going to read this verse. It's not on the screen. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found what? A helper fit for him, a helper corresponding to him, a helper complementary to him. There wasn't one found strong like him. There wasn't one found who could support him and encourage him and bless him. That helper wasn't found. Look what God does. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last 
First song in the Bible recorded, first human song recorded for us. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What does, what does the man celebrate in this very first song in Scripture? What is it? She's made of the same stuff as me. She's like me. She corresponds to me. She complements me. She's not like the animals. She is my equal. She is my complementary helper. That's what the man celebrates. The woman's sameness. That she came from him and looks like him and is made the same as him. Now there are, of course, undoubtedly, important differences between men and women. And where Scripture makes these distinctions, we should recognize and honor and celebrate those distinctions. But God's design for the man and the woman does not begin with differences. It begins with sameness. A shared name, a shared nature, and a shared mission. Look how this portion of Scripture closes in verse 24, because we're going to see this verse again in Ephesians. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall, be call, shall become one flesh. What is this? This is marriage, a lifelong partnership between one man and one woman. God designs it, so God defines it. Now make your way back to Ephesians. Chapter 5. And notice how this text This paragraph, this portion flows. Verse number 18, Paul is writing and he says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's going to speak to people who are filled with the Spirit. They have been born again and they need to allow the Holy Spirit to control their lives, not what? Alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. And then in verse number 21, Paul instructs God's people, those men and women who have been filled with the Spirit, to submit to one another. Look at it there in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want to remind you of something we learned in 1 Peter. Submission is... The inclination to obey legitimate authority under normal circumstances. And biblical submission is motivated not by fear, not by anger, not by domination. Biblical submission is motivated by reverence for Christ. Do you see that there in verse 21? In other words, submission is an expression of worship towards God. Whenever you submit, 
male or female, whenever you submit to legitimate authority, that is an expression of worship. So with this kind of submission in mind, worship, submission as an expression of worship, Paul writes this in verse number 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Sisters, God designed you to be your husband's helper. He needs your help. And just like the Lord, just like Yahweh in Psalm 121, you should delight in giving your husband your strength, your guidance, your support, your encouragement, your blessing. He needs that. That's why he needs you to be his helper. That's how God designed you. You should joyfully partner with your husband in fulfilling God's mission. Please don't submit to your husband if he contradicts Scripture. Don't submit to your husband if he violates your conscience tells you to do something that you feel inside on some measure of God's word, based on God's word, I can't do that. Don't submit to your husband if he hinders your growth in godliness. But absent these qualifiers, voluntary, responsible submission to your husband is God's design for your marriage. Now, Husbands, this doesn't mean that you get to demand or force your wife to submit. And we know this because of what comes right after Paul's command to the wives in verse 22. See, when Paul teaches about marriage, he gives a metaphor or a word picture. Marriage is like a head and a body. Look at this in verse number 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, follow Paul's metaphor. Kids, follow this word picture. Jesus is the head of the church. No one is arguing that. And the church is what? What do we read? The church is his body. This is why we talk about being the hands and the feet of Jesus and going and loving and serving others. Jesus is the head, and we, the church, we are his body. That's the word picture. How does that translate to husbands and wives? The husband, he functions as the head. God says it is so. You're the head. And sisters who are married, you are the body in this metaphor, the head and the body. Do you see that here in Scripture? 
Now, I don't know about you, but my head doesn't make significant demands of my body. In fact, I've noticed that the opposite is true. When I pinch my finger or step on a Lego or if I get sunburned or twist my ankle, my, my body to be comfortable and content and its stomach to be full. It doesn't want sunburn on it. So my head says, take care of yourself. You should use your hands and put on some sunscreen. Do you follow this metaphor? Do you see how this picture is going to work out? Now, husbands, perhaps you are expecting me to say, as the head of your wife, you need to step up and lead. But notice, that is not God's design. As the head, God's command to you is not to lead. God's command to you is love. Look in your Bible, verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Are you getting the picture here? What does Christ, the head, do for his body, the church? Everything. So that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Boy, that's good. Husbands, husbands, loving your wife may mean sacrificing your sleep it may mean sacrificing your time at the gym. That doesn't hurt. This one hurts. It may mean sacrificing your reading time. Mmm. Mmm. Cuts right to the heart. It may mean sacrificing your favorite hobby. It may mean sacrificing your career goals for your wife. I heard a wonderful testimony of a faithful brother here in our church this week who did that, sacrificed his career goals for the sake of his wife and family. Loving your wife, husbands, may mean regularly doing her least favorite chore and without expectation. Loving your wife means that you will know her dreams and her insecurities and what sins tempt her, and you will help her learn how to fight temptation by the Spirit's power and with the cleansing power of God's truth. Loving your wife means reminding her often that she is one of God's beloved daughters that he delights in her, that he is so pleased with her. 
Loving your wife means celebrating her gifts and giving her lots of biblical opportunities to use them. Loving your wife means that you will take the initiative, husband, in developing family habits that encourage the spiritual health and your family's growth and godliness. Listen, husbands, loving your wife like Christ means you will be gentle rather than domineering. You will be humble rather than having to be right. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Ready to forgive. Eager to reconcile. To put the relationship back when it feels like it's falling apart. To reset. Husband, God does not command you to be the head. God declares that is what you are in the word picture. His command for you as the head, is to lay down your life for her. Look at verse 28. In the same way, as we have just read, that Christ loves his church and does everything for her, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What is at the heart of this metaphor of the head and the body? It's about unity. The head Loving the body, caring for the body. He is loving and caring for himself. That's what makes the word picture work. The head must remain connected to the body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Therefore, Paul lifts this verse right out of Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Marriage then pictures the gospel. As the head, Jesus does whatever is necessary to care for his body, the church. He lays down his life for her. He gives her everything she needs for life and godliness. This is God's truth for us from 2 Peter. Everything you need for life and godliness, church, God has given it to you in your Savior, Jesus Christ. 
In the same way then, a husband ought to lay down his life for his wife. In other words, placing her needs ahead of your own. And as the church submits itself to Jesus Christ, we recognize we are not the head. None of us is the head. Jesus Christ is the head. As the church submits to Jesus, so also wives ought to submit to their own husbands. Is marriage hard? It is hard. It is hard. Are husbands and wives going to fail in our efforts to represent Jesus and the church? Yes, we are going to fail regularly, maybe even often it feels like, doesn't it? But God's grace is sufficient. And we have been given the Holy Spirit. So don't give up, husbands and wives. Don't give up. Why? Because Jesus never gives up on his church. He will see to it that the church perseveres. Isn't that good news? That's an important reminder for us husbands and wives when we feel like giving up, when we feel like quitting. Remind yourself, Jesus will never quit on his church. In Genesis, God creates the male man. And then the female man is made like him, of the same stuff as he is made of. And God designed them to partner together, the man and the woman, and rule over his creation. But listen, we know this. The male man sinned, didn't he? And his sin plunged creation into ruin and chaos. And so God sent Jesus. And like a husband forsakes his family so that he can cling wholeheartedly to his wife, Jesus left the presence of the Father, the glory of the Father's presence, so that he could come and be near his bride. Jesus became a man. He was made of the same stuff as we are made of. Why? So that he could experience our suffering. So that he could experience our weakness. So that he could be a faithful, sympathetic, great high priest and go all the way to the cross. He became like us so that he could suffer as one of us so that he could experience death and destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In order to cleanse his bride, the church, from her sin, with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. One day, Jesus, 
the true and better Adam, the true and better male man, he will reign with his bride just like God designed from the very beginning. Listen to these beautiful verses from Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for what? Her husband. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Notice this. And they, they... Jesus and his bride, the church, they will reign forever and ever. What a day that will be, brothers and sisters, to reign forever with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, let me ask you this critically important question. Are you part of the bride of Christ? Are you a member of the church? Have you been born again? Have you trusted in Jesus for the salvation of your souls? Will you be there when his church, the bride of Christ, reigns with Jesus the perfect husband, come to Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus. He will save you. And listen, he promises to be faithful to you. What kind of faithfulness? He promises to be faithful to you in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, in good times and in bad in joy and in sorrow, in life, and listen, even in death, because it only brings us nearer our bridegroom. Amen? Let's pray together. Good Father, thank you again for your word. Would you please take it and plant it deep down in our hearts? And as you do this, would you please be so kind by the power of your spirit to strip away anything that I have said that has been of me, anything that has been unhelpful, unclear. Give us your word. Let us see Jesus Christ. Help us to believe not my words, but your word, good Father. Blessed Holy Spirit, please come and help us to believe and to obey the things that you have shown us this morning. We need your help. Our hearts are inclined to disobedience. Please forgive us, Lord. Show us mercy for how we have failed as husbands and wives to live up to this high and holy standard. And we remember your good promises to us that there is 
now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this good word of hope and encouragement. Father, would you please also send your Holy Spirit to move in the heart of someone who came this morning, not perhaps expecting to be confronted with the preaching of your word, and yet you have awakened in them some measure of understanding of your gospel. Would you please grant them life, and repentance and faith so that they are enabled to respond by repenting and believing this gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this for your glory and for our good, giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.